Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday to you. My name is Tim Harris. It's 10 o'clock. It's time for Tim with Tim. <clears throat> I'm just about to get all the crud out of my throat. Uh, so I appreciate your patience with me this week. Pray for me. Pray that I'll have a good voice for Sunday morning here at Woodburn Baptist Church. Love you guys so much. Uh, it's good to be back with you. Uh, Exodus chapter 23 is where we are today. We're going verse by verse through the Word of God. Uh, most of you know we started Exodus in 2020. We stopped in the middle, so we're picking back up now and finishing Exodus. Uh, and we're in chapter 23. Uh, I hope you spend some time in chapter 23. I, I find several things here that we probably will benefit from talking through. So let's just hit some high points. First off, stuck in these laws, some of which just seem so random and removed from us culturally. There are just some you know, principles that are just so important. Uh, verse one, you must not pass along false rumors. I mean, that's so basic. And yet, how often have you seen churches or families or friendships or any other you know place where people gather you know just a, a, a group destroyed because people just don't know how to control their mouth you know uh, pass along false rumors i mean it's bad enough to pass along true rumors you know like you're not supposed to gossip but it's it's another thing altogether when you pass along things that are that aren't even true uh, and that's the thing, man. When you're gossiping, it's just so delicious. You're probably sharing something that you just love about somebody that you don't love. And so, man, you want it to be true or it just feels so good to have something to share, you know, whatever uh, it is that that makes us want to sin by just talking about people, man. The Bible is so clear in that prohibition, and yet we cannot stop ourselves. You know, I guess that's why James said, man, if anybody can control the tongue, they'd be a perfect person. Uh, oh my, oh my goodness. God help us. We've got to control our mouths, you know. Don't pass along false rumors. Uh, verse two, you must not follow the crowd in doing wrong. New Living Translation I'm reading. I think the Hebrew there says, uh, don't follow, don't run after, don't chase after the many, that, that sort of thing. Don't, don't chase after the many. When you see a whole lot of people going in one direction, that does not mean you have to follow them. You know, So often, being a, a man or woman of God just means knowing how to stand alone, knowing how to not follow the crowd. Because I'm telling you, the crowd's not going to follow Christ. If you're going to follow him, you're going to stand alone and, and know how to do that. Verses 4 and 5, if you've ever heard me preach these uh, and in chapter 23, I typically, verses 4 and 5 are the only thing I preach, to be honest. Uh, but <clears throat> I call it the donkey test. Uh, verses 4 and 5, the donkey test. Uh, if you come up on your enemy's ox or donkey that is straight away, take it back to its owner. That's just a simple law. But I call it the donkey test. It's a test. First off, uh, for a lot of people I preach to, and I say, you run across your enemy's ox or donkey, you know, I, you know, most people I know go, well, I don't have any enemies. You know, I just love everybody, you know, and that's so not true. <laughs> I don't know a lot of people who love everybody, to be honest. Uh, and, and, and that's why this verse is so interesting to me. It's the donkey test. In other words, uh, this is a private moment. Nobody's going to know what you did because you're the only one out there and you come across your enemy's donkey in a ditch. So what are you going to do? Yeah, that's the test part. What are you going to do? Because you got options. You know, you can just walk right on. I mean, you didn't put the donkey in the ditch. You know, you didn't ask, you know, to see the donkey in the ditch. And you, and you got things to do and places to go. You know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that's what makes it a test. 
And I love this passage because it's a good test for me. You know, you run across a donkey in a ditch and it belongs to this person that doesn't like you or this person that you don't like. You know, either way you want to frame it. Uh, one way or the other, you know how it is. You know, there are just some people you find their donkey in a ditch and you're thinking, hmm, I guess our donkey's in a ditch. You know, you find a little pleasure in it. That's a pretty good sign that your heart's not right. You know, when you can find some pleasure in somebody else's misfortune, and that gives you a little bit of a boost, you know, your heart's not right. And this person's probably your enemy. You know, you, you know what I'm saying? Or at least you have made yourself an enemy of this person, you know. So what are you going to do? I mean, we're not going to find donkeys in the ditch in our day, but let's just say, you know, you find her iPhone, you know, this lady you don't care much for, and you find her iPhone, and you got some choices to make. You can take it back to her, which is what the Bible commands you to do, but, you know, you could also... I don't know, use her phone and you could take a picture of your middle finger and leave it for her. You know what I mean? You could kick the donkey as you go by. I mean, you have options, right? But the biblical principle here is it's not enough to do no harm when you have the opportunity to do something good, even for an enemy, especially for an enemy, Jesus would say. So what does it say? You take it back to its owner. I mean, you could text animal control you could place an anonymous call and say hey sheriff there's a donkey in it you know you have options but but the principle here is if you want to follow god uh, following christ could take you right to your enemy's door you personally take the donkey back to your enemy which means of course you're going to show up on her porch this is an opportunity for peacemaking you know what i'm saying it's an opportunity for peacemaking. You go out of your way to show kindness to an enemy. I mean, this is the principle here, you know? Um, I just think it's the most amazing couple of verses there. I call it the donkey test, you know? Uh, when you have the opportunity to do something good for somebody that you don't like or they don't like you, whatever, um, what will you do? The Bible commands you to go out of your way to show kindness. I, I think that's just really, really pretty amazing. Uh, and what follows, uh, there are instructions for the three main festivals in Jewish life, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Festival of Harvest, or what's sometimes called the Feast of Weeks, and then the Festival of the Ingathering, the, the Final Harvest, or sometimes called the Feast of Tabernacles, the, the Feast of Booths. Uh, notice all of these one way or the other, they, they relate to agriculture, they relate to the harvest uh, which I love. Uh, it's in, in the festivals, in the in the uh, basically, the, the calendar year is uh, made sacred by these festivals where you are reminded that God is the source of everything. And so for that reason, you return the harvest. You, uh, you stop and you worship in the midst of the, uh, the cycle of, of your work. And so that's what I love about the festivals. They, they unite the everyday life and work of the people with the worship life. Uh, that they have in, in, in the Lord. One of the problems in our culture, one of the problems we have in our churches is the way we compartmentalize our lives. You've got your church life and then your life life, you, you know, and most of us, our church life is so far removed from, from the way we live and what we do with the rest of our days. Um, but here, you know, in the structure of work and rest, the Sabbath, and then in the structure of the year around these festivals, it just... 
it, it erases all of those barriers, all of those compartmental, you know, those structures where we compartmentalize our life and separate work from rest and life from worship. You know, you know what I'm saying? I, th- I think it's beautiful what God intends that our life be one beautiful whole lived in worship and celebration of what he does for us. Uh, uh, verse 19 is a puzzle. Uh, you must not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. It seems so random and weird, and it's like, uh, that's, that, that sounds gross. I don't even know what that is. Um, <clears throat> this is one of the verses from which, uh, of course, Jewish tradition you know, gets you know, kosher food laws. And, and among the most you know, basic principles of kosher food laws is you don't mix meat and dairy, which comes from this verse. You know, like you're not supposed to mix you know, goat meat with goat milk. Uh, I don't know, that seems so random. I'm not arguing with all the Jewish tradition, but that doesn't seem like the intention here uh, to keep you from eating a cheeseburger. You know, literally, a cheeseburger would be cheese, dairy on meat, so they don't let you have cheeseburgers because of this verse. I just think that's weird. Um, I think it's, it's personally, I think it's most likely an idiom that we've lost. Uh, for example, if I said, man, I'm, I rode my hog to the courthouse, y'all would assume because of our culture that I rode a motorcycle, a hog, you know, to the courthouse. But uh, in future, if they read that or saw this video and I said I rode my hog to the courthouse, they would assume I rode a pit, you know what I mean? It, the, it, the idiom is lost. And I, I think that probably cooking a young goat in its mother's milk is probably some sort of idiom. Uh, it probably meant something else to the people and, and, and we've lost it. It's usually, uh, it's, it's, this occurs three times in the Torah uh, and it's uh, usually in conjunction with the offerings. As you harvest your crops, bring your best. Don't boil a young goat in its mother's milk. I think it's probably a, a prohibition against mixing uh, old and new. In other words, if you're bringing your offering, you're supposed to bring the first crops, the best crops. The temptation would be to mix the new generation, to mix this year's crops with last year's crops. In other words, put this year's seed on top of a bushel of last year's seed, and it looks like I'm giving my best when I'm not. You know what I'm saying? So that young goat would be the, the new, and the, and the mother's milk would be the previous, the old generation. I, I, I don't, I'm probably not making any sense to you. But I'm suggesting that there's probably an idiom. This probably had something to do with the offering, and we've lost the meaning of the idiom. For that reason, people have translated it in a multitude of ways, which we, we can never be sure are true to the context. Um, these last verses, 20 uh, through 32 through the end, uh, are, are basically beautiful pictures of, of God's promises to care for his people. Uh, one of the things I note, and I'll finish with this, is when he says, uh, you know, I, I will drive the people out in front of you. You're going to take this land and I will drive the people out, but I'm going to do it little by little. I mean, it's what it says there in verse 30. I'll drive them out a little at a time until your population is increased. Um, I just think it's interesting that what God does for us is often more of a process than an event. You know, I'll just give you an example. I've been wanting God to heal me of this crud so that I can preach. And I wanted him to heal me instantly, miraculously, like one cough, and my throat is clear. But it's been a long, slow process this week of getting better. And most of the time, what God does is over time through processes, and we don't we don't always love that. We want God to do it big and miraculous and immediate, but God knows what he's doing and he does everything well. And in this case, he says, I'm going I'm to drive them out little by little because it wouldn't help you. It wouldn't help you at all. 
to, to give you this whole land in one fell swoop. You, you, you know what I mean? God knows what he's doing. And probably what he's doing in your life is a little over time. And that's underwhelming and it's not exciting. And sometimes you can't even tell what he's doing because it's happening so slowly. But make no mistake, God is at work. He is working a little at a time, perhaps in your life. But, uh, but day by day, he is doing you good. And uh, one day you will look back and understand how blessed you have been. Uh, I love you guys. It's going to be a good weekend. But again, pray that I'll have voice for Sunday. I'm starting a new sermon series here at Woodburn called Money Talks, talking about stewardship and finances. So please be a part of that. Uh, as I've been saying, your financial life is a very, very important window into your soul. It will say more about your spiritual life than most of us wish were so obvious. And so uh, join me in the pulpit at Woodburn 8, 9, 30, and 11, worshiping live here at Woodburn. Would love to see you. If I don't see you this weekend at Woodburn, I will see you Monday morning at 10 o'clock for Tim with Tim. We'll be in chapter 24. I love chapter 24. It's one of the most amazing and in some ways shocking pictures when, when the elders sit down for a meal in the presence of God. They see him. They eat with him. We'll talk about that. It's amazing. And that's chapter 24, verses 1 to 18 for, uh, for Monday morning. Love you guys so much. Thank you for a good week. And I will see you on Monday morning, Lord willing. Tim with Tim. Love you guys so much.